0: good evening how are you
1: hello prince i am very well thank you just woken up rested from a nice
0: nap now i'm drinking lots of lovely espresso strength coffee so anyway tracy continue please i'm sorry i'm doing okay you've got your double espresso coffee okay yeah 3 a.m i think that'll do If
1: not for the fact that i drink double espresso strength coffee all the time I basically just drink liters of espresso. That's how I survive. I don't understand how you can drink tea anyway, for starters. I don't make a very good British person in that sense because I cannot stand tea. I've no likes tea. Although I do drink fruit-flavored teas like ginger and lemon and that type of...
0: Tonight we actually are going to, Marcus, talk about the SBU. Marcus! pum Boom! pom
2: pom 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 Boom! pom 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 Boom! Boom! pom 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 pom
3: pom 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 pom
0: pom 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 Oh, I feel the love. I feel the love. Tracy, how you holding up there? Marcus, that was absolutely fantastic. I love it. Brilliant. So well done. Thank you very much. I had a feeling she was laughing so hard she could barely talk, but that's fabulous. I love it. It's much better than the original theme that I downloaded a while ago and always forget to uh, to play. The SBU has had an interesting week has it not
1: yes indeed there's been a, a few variety of different cases this week speaking of the SBU, you know the SBU alpha unit did a video for us after the fundraising event that we had to, to help them get radio equipment and they very kindly the video is out there i tweeted it i posted it personally on my page so if you want to have a look, I can probably find it for you. But that indeed was a drone. No, some kind of a not a drone. Some kind of a shell with Maria reports written on it, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. That was a thank you from them. So it's quite possible, Prince Heather, that there is something somewhere with your name on it. But yes, shall we get started with some SBU numbers, Prince? Always start with numbers. Always start with the numbers. So the numbers this week, The amount of cases is slightly down on the average, but don't be disappointed. I don't want no disappointment because they've still been working incredibly hard, as you will see when we go through the cases. Some of them are actually uh, quite detailed uh, cases, especially seen as the main topic of this week is going to be propaganda. There have been uh, a number of quite serious propaganda cases that have been either served some sentence some cases, you've probably seen some high profile ones in the news involving people that are really in positions of power that should know better, such as educators and this type of role, when they're obviously there to be able to manipulate young minds, which like we said, that puts them in, not only in them are in positions of power, but they're also, like we say, in control of young minds. People especially parents, trust teachers, and educators, and that type of thing. So let's have a look. 29 cases this week is the total. In the strategic category, we have a total of seven cases. That includes uh, four detentions, one served, and one sentenced. The sentencing was an FSB guy who pretended to be an athlete in order to find strategic locations. Such a cheeky so and this one running around the city pretending to be an athlete. He was sentenced to 15 years. We've got nothing in the embezzlement or extortion category this week. uh, But we do have one case in the torture category. um, And that's a case that's been built against someone from the Mikhailov area. Nothing in the political category this week. But you'll see wide propaganda now coming to this topic. There's a few reasons why I've chosen this for the main focus. One of the main reasons was because it coincides with the intensity of the increase of the Russian propaganda since Hamas attacked Israel and continuing really since then. Not just Russia now, obviously China we know is pumping out their versions of propaganda and Hamas is at it on uh, just a scale that we've not seen before. I think that's what I meant when I said to Prince Heather earlier that I think it's an interesting intriguing coincidence maybe i don't know it could be on purpose but coming to the propaganda cases this week we have a total of eight one case has been served one case built and the rest are detentions so we're we're going to go over those cases this week one was sentenced to 10 years and that was for the elder the guy who is one of the occupying Governors, I think he calls himself, in the Herson region, in the temporarily occupied Herson region. We've got three that were sentenced to six years. So we'll go over that. And then we have this Irina woman that you've probably all heard about. That's another case that we're going to go over. This is involving the uh, education. There's quite a lot of cases in the propaganda this week. It's not something that we normally see. We do see the odd case coming up in the propaganda category but not this many cases and certainly not in such a short space of time. In the evading category this week, we have a total of 11, one detentions and the rest exposed. Now, I say 11 because this involves schemes. So there were four people detained in one scheme and then four were served sentences and they opened up a big scheme which included a big gang as well. In another case, six people were detained detained. One person was exposed. And again, seven schemes were uncovered. I guess we'll see more arrests come following those. Nothing in crime this week. In corruption, we have a couple of cases this week. Two people were exposed. We had one exposed for 25 million hryvnias and one exposed for the amount of 43 million eryvnas. That's the money that they've tried to steal away from the states of Ukraine, from the nation of Ukraine sometimes, from private companies or publicly owned companies in some cases. Those are the 27 cases this week. Not a bad haul overall. I think we get too privileged when we get used to them being like a high number each week in the 30s and 40s.
0: Actually, as uh, I was uh, putting the numbers into the uh, spreadsheet that I keep, I did notice that it just felt like a lower number of cases. Usually there's four cases a day, sometimes five. And there were a couple of times this week where there were only three. And that felt really weird to me. But there's also been some big stuff this week. There's also been some big stuff as far as the teacher. There's been, I think, three professors this week that I've read about. The MP that got himself in a little bit of trouble in all that drama. They've been really busy this week. They just don't have as many cases this week because I don't know why. Realistically, I'm sure you know what, that there are a lot more cases, ones that they publicize too. I'm betting there are cases they don't tell us about, which is fine. But it's also interesting to think about it that way.
1: I always wonder when I look at these times, I always try to see these because patterns jump out at me sometimes because I do notice there's actually been a lot of great work from the Alpha unit this week in terms of things that they've blown up, uh, Russian equipment and eliminated invaders. Now, I can't say for sure that's why it makes a difference because we know it's different people that are carrying out the arrests of the normal everyday cases than is the special operations SBU team. Oh, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that there's probably some cooperation and, and overlap goes on somewhere within some cases. It makes me wonder because these are um, very specific cases in terms of uh, public officials this week, educators that work for Public, people that are supposed to be there to protect and look after your children or do specific roles of people's deputy within positions of power. I wonder about that. And I think I would imagine much more careful, but when you're dealing with people that are in public officials and positions of power like that, I think you've got to make sure you've, the saying, adopted your I's and crossed all your T's, so to speak. They seem to be really conscientious guys. I think that's something that they definitely would have considered. What do you think, Prince? Do you think I'm
0: stretching too far? Oh? No, I don't think you're stretching too far. What do we see? What Marcus thinks, Marcus. I'm not a lawyer, and I don't work for the SBU, but
2: because obviously, if I did, I would totally use it to get extra special treatment from Tracy.
0: Marcus, <laughs> yes. What did you did you ever play one on TV or stay at a Holiday Inn?
2: I see. So, what I would say is the the prosecutor's office and the SBU in general have like. A fixed number of hours of lawyer time. And I think it's fair to say that some of the cases, there's a few things going on, right? Like some of the cases will mature at different times, depending on how much workload it took to go from point A to point B. And that sets the calendar. But also, they're going to choose to bring them and to announce them as they can prosecute them. So that means that they only have fixed resources for the courtroom and fixed resources for behind the scenes. I think it's probably a matter of managing hours. So they must have a backlog, for example, and they prioritize it based on uh, their human resources. What seems like a lower caseload based on us reading it off, to a prosecutor might be eyebrow-raising. I don't know. That's just what I want to say. Thank you, Marcus. Yes, that's a very good
1: point. That's what I mean exactly. I think the cases are going to take more time when it comes to one of them that we're going to go over, this Saldo guy. This has been going on for a long time, hasn't it? I think it's taken quite some time. There's been a lot that he's done and a lot that's involved in building the evidence base of that case. So I think that will have taken a considerable amount of time because there's just so much more history to go over. Shall we delve into the cases this week? The case that we're going to talk about first, um, the people that are in education. We trust them to look after our children and we trust them to help guide impressionable young minds. And in particular, teenagers are particularly set up susceptible. Their control or whatever they call it has not developed properly yet. They see things in a different way. The way that they assess risk is different to the way that adults do. This is why uh, young people take more risks and they're at a very impressionable stage in their life. We see that this is when uh, Russia is also using this propaganda tool um, as a weapon in many young faith groups, infiltrating faith groups, infiltrating in particular groups of young men for various different reasons and using that and turning that against People, whether it's on the left or the right of the politics or wherever the politics may lie, um, all along the spectrum, just using and infiltrating those groups. Uh, those, I think that's why it's really important because we forget. We know that the Russia is in this information war and Russia's committing hybrid warfare against us all. They've weaponized propaganda, weaponized migration, weaponized many other hot topics in society to upset people and stir people up. These are all the things that they use when they're losing, when things are getting desperate to take away, not only to control, but also to take away and distract people's attention from the real things that they're doing. So this case involves the chief of the Herson University office who introduced Russian educational standards there. So in particular, disgusting. This is what I mean when they're slowly dripping away how long have they been doing these things behind the scenes we're only just really starting to uncover um the scale of the fact that russia has never really stopped using uh, propaganda uh, and never stopped taking what they call these active measures as a result of stabilization efforts in the liberated herson area the SBU exposed a russian supporter after the occupation the woman supported the invaders and she actually agreed to head the document flow unit at a local university. In this position, she carried out Saldo's instructions to introduce Russian educational standards in the occupied parts of the southern region. Among other things, she was engaged in the reformatting in massive air quotes, reformatting the document flow in the seized and occupied university. And obviously that's in accordance with what they require, the education ministry from the Russian Federation. She was also an active participant in the propaganda events of the local occupation administration. If it's not bad enough that she's manipulating young minds and trying to basically just brainwash these children. They also pump it out on a a bigger level, on a wider level. This is what I mean about the propaganda. It's not just about the information side, is it? It's all about the optics and these ways that they click these videos in order to be able to try and convince the international community and, or influence the emotions or the uh, thought processes of the um, international community. So all these things massively make a difference. Um, she massively disseminated Kremlin narratives on her page as well. On the, on the banned social network, completely glorifying the Russian occupation groupings, justifying the temporary seizure of Crimea. After her son's liberation, she remained in the city and continued on spreading the hostile propaganda. And the SBU documented all of this and her criminal actions, found her and actually detained her in her own flat, serves her right. I love to see when they've been arrested at home because It makes me think of the optics of all the neighbors seeing that and that deterrent factor. So this is something that I think is fantastic when they do it publicly. I always like it when they have videos as well, taking these people down. Again, it's a huge deterrent factor. And it's good for citizens in society to see that President Zelensky is holding people to account when he talks about this clear out of corruption, terrorism and treason in every corner of Ukraine. So they found documents confirming her work for the Occupy's University. They also found a photo of her with a Russian military in the captured Kherson area, pro-Kremlin symbols and other evidence. She's now been served a notice of suspicion under Article 436.2-2 of the Criminal Code, which is the justification and recognition and lawful denial of Russia's armed aggression against Ukraine and the glorification of the participants. The court is yet to decide uh, on a measure of restraint for the subject. She's facing up to five years in prison, which I think is exceptionally low. However, I'm hoping that more charges are added because it seems to me that this is something that's still going on and they're still looking for more evidence. It looks like I can't say that for sure. They're still looking at what they're going to do in terms of detention. So that tells me that they have more evidence they may be considering because up to this point, she's not detained. Therefore, I would guess that's what they're looking at, the other evidence in in to see if that's something that they can use in order to detain her, which would be absolutely fantastic because she deserves to be detained. Obviously, it was the Hares-On region that carried out this under the procedural guidance of the prosecutor's office there this is just one example i I don't know where we talk about these there's so many different layers to the the way that this propaganda is pushed out started there put those seeds in the minds of those young impressionable teenagers then also pushed out to the rest of the public and attempts to influence the international community there's just so many layers to these cases Uh, I think when you look at them, what do you reckon, Prince?
0: There are a lot of layers to them. And I think that as things get figured out, then they're going to be able to pull things together. And that's the thing that, that always makes me think is they just because they serve somebody a suspicion, even if they've arrested them, even if they're detained, it doesn't mean that pretrial investigation has, is complete. Pretrial investigation usually continues. And a lot of times what that means is that they are going to end up adding more charges. I don't know if this is a case we'll hear about again if more charges are added because it's not a huge deal kind of case, a high profile kind of case, but we might. You never know exactly what, what will happen. So I'm hoping that there are more charges coming and we will see in the long run. Christopher has his hand up. Go ahead, Christopher. Hello. I think another reason that they
4: could be if she's out and, and not detained, she'll likely try to contact her handlers to watch that would be advantageous to the case and to trying to find out if there are additional individuals that could be part of this because she's not working alone. There's somebody, there's a case manager, there's a handler for her somewhere. So I think that's potentially a reason.
0: That's a very good point. Tracy, go ahead. That is a very good
1: point, actually. Thank you for that, Christopher. Karen's joined us also. Welcome, Karen. Please go ahead.
3: Thank you. I have a question about an, an case that went through Ukrainian court last week, and it involved a athlete agent who worked as a local coach who ran 50 kilometers a day to spy for Russia. And he was mapping out different heavy weapons and munition locations. And he's been sentenced to 15 years in jail. But what I find really curious is that I've checked several articles, and they're not mentioning the guy's name. And I'm thinking if he was a local left, I don't know. I don't think he's a minor. That's the only reason. I could think of why somebody's name would be omitted. That was actually this week, Karen. Yes,
1: he was sentenced to 15 years. I'll just find it for you. It's not common that they mention the names anyway. Sometimes we do get to find these out. But usually, if the names come out, it's because of hunting that Ukrainian media has done. It's not very often that the SBU release the names. For example, when they've built cases against. Russian Federation people that have now gone back to Russia that have committed war crimes, then they mention the names. I think that's probably for obvious reasons. Let's have a look here. So if I can find the exact case, I will be able to tell you. But that's on the figures for this week. He ran up to 50 kilometers a week. I think it's so cheeky. I don't remember when I was reading this that they mentioned his name either. I've got it. Thank you, Prince. 55-year-old sports coach. I don't remember reading his name in this case.
0: They don't have a problem with that. But a lot of times, they don't do that when they're arresting Ukrainians. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. And like with the case with the MP this week, I actually don't think that in the article that they put out saying what happened, they used his name. No, that's right. But his name was all over the freaking media. you couldn't miss it. That's what I think happens more often than not. When it's a big, high-profile case, a high-profile case, I think that when it's a high-profile case, that the media picks up on it and figures out who it is. It's not hard for them to figure it out when it's a really high-profile person. It's the Ukrainian media. It's the local media who puts out who it is, not the release from the SBU. So unless the SBU has said, okay, they figured it out, so we're going to go ahead and name this guy at this point, and that's up to them. I don't know if Ukraine has specific laws about releasing the name of people who are under suspicion. They very well might. I don't know. It's not something I notice very often. I don't notice a lot of names. Unless it is people, soldiers of the Russian Federation who are accused of suspicion.
1: Sometimes they do name the public officials, which I find that they seem to mention the names more of then. And I think that's for obvious reasons. But you're right. Sometimes in these cases, I think if I remember correctly, I'm just scrolling back to the actual page now. I think it was on the 13th when it happened. I think they just named him as the people's Deputy. What they very often do is say the people's deputy and then they name the specific area. So I think then that's not very difficult for people to work out. I noticed proper Ukrainian media, what I call Ukrainian media, media in Ukraine, by Ukrainian people or people that live in Ukraine, at least probably both, they are fantastic at getting this information and releasing it. In the case mentioned by the SBU, it just says, The People's Deputy of Ukraine, it doesn't say his name. As you said, it was mentioned in various Ukrainian media and obviously picked up by other media. Also, the guy was not exactly very private himself about it, was he? He went around making silly videos and everything, didn't he?
0: Do you remember that, Prince? We just figured it out because of the news coverage, who exactly it was.
1: No, absolutely. I'm always really careful as well. For example, if I make a post about the SPU, if there are pictures that have come from separate places, I will note somewhere in the post, in the thread if there are extra pictures from different places, because I think it's really important not to give people the impression that all this information may have come from the SBU, for example. Uh, so I think it's important to be very clear about that. Uh, sometimes I'm careful maybe not to release the name um, unless it's widely known out there, because... I do notice as well, there are occasions when you may not release the name, but then when the case goes forwarded on to the general prosecutor, they may release the name. So I think that's an interesting thing to emphasize because it shows that Ukraine is following the letter of the law in terms of people's rights and people's freedoms and people's, all the, all those types of things, which uh, I think that's something that we should emphasize because again, that's something that Russia try, tries to twist around. I think all these cases are fantastic this week, for a number of reasons, for highlighting the way Russia's insidious propaganda works, for good examples of resources that people can use and point to when they're trying to counter that disinformation that they may hear. In fact, I'm reminded of an example, actually, I have the case files if you would like to see them from the general prosecutor and from the SBU, and I can send you those links. And he wasn't interested, of course, because he was just a troll. So, But I don't know if you heard any of that, Prince, or what your thoughts are about that. I just think it's a fantastic example for all of us to that even at this stage, people still try to come out with these things that we think we tackled maybe last year. That's why it's important for us to keep putting out this information, keep highlighting these cases, keep speaking to each other as we do in this space, and then to keep, sharing that information with our bubbles also. So we're not just speaking into an information bubble. Okay, so let's get back to the SBU cases then, shall we, Prince?
0: Yes, that would be good.
1: Let's talk about more SBU cases where, and it does include children because we're talking about cases where in particular, as Prince Heather mentioned earlier on, a lot of these cases, the propaganda cases that we're talking about involve people in positions of what should we say influence of ability to influence young minds so we're talking about university professors and all these types of people so it's definitely something that's really important because we know that russia uses all these avenues like it's not just we, we forget don't we i think sometimes i don't know sometimes i'm surprised prince heather when we come across people that really have these ideas that we thought we tackled it does make you realize that it's something that we can never stop on because russia's never going to stop using that propaganda as a weapon and never going to stop twisting things around we always have to be countering that with truthful information and this is one thing coming back to that teaching moment i was mentioning earlier i was trying to ask that that in that conversation is where he was getting his information from because one thing I've noticed that people do now is they'll read a publication and then they'll, they just believe it. And I think you don't even go to the source of where the information or the quotes or whatever it is has come from for, I'll just use a random example. If somebody says in a news item that President Zelensky has said something, the first place I will go to, and I'm sure you do the same, is the government website, the president's own website, or, and, or President Zelensky's personal telegram and Twitter feeds i find it surprising even now sometimes and i forget that actually many people don't do that that's why i think it's important to highlight that these cases that we talk about public information and from official sources from the spu themselves from the general prosecutor so really we're talking directly from the case files
0: yes absolutely the thing is making sure your information is accurate is really important. I saw a piece of information last night, and I wanted to scream it from their alf- rooftops, that I wasn't able to verify it with a source that I trusted. But I waited till this morning, and I saw the information that was verified. Great. I'm glad the information I read last night was accurate, but I still wasn't taking it as accurate until I saw it from an official government website or an official government source that I know is an official account, because there was no way that I was going to take it just on, on something else, unless I knew for sure that it was a a trusted source. Just click my address bar. And it's always the first thing in my address bar is to go directly to the president's website. I'm not kidding.
1: Oh, absolutely. Mine is like SBU and NABU. And then following that, it's like the Ministry of Defense. And then the president's website, and General Prosecutor, all those exactly the same directly to the source. It makes it so much easier, doesn't it? It is easy to get sucked in and it is easy to react to these things. And Russia knows that. And that's why the weaponized propaganda. And that's why I bother to read any news media anymore. In fact, it's funny because I think Christopher knows more about what gets written in the British news media than I do. (laughs) I think this case that I'd like to go to next just shows the level of propaganda because this case involves, you were talking about an example earlier, Prince, of People's Deputy. So the SBU has initiated criminal proceedings and already ordered a number of examinations regarding certain statements and publications of a former member of the Ukrainian parliament. So we're talking about Irina Faryon. People may have heard that name because it's been out a lot in the public. It's been quite a high profile case this week. So according to the investigation, in one of her interviews, the People's Deputy Seven Convocation says that she categorically categorically rejects Russian-speaking members of the armed forces of Ukraine. This is why this case is particularly disgusting because people may remember when she said this and obviously that upset a great deal of people because she's trying to say that Russian-speaking members of the armed forces can't call themselves Ukrainians, which is obviously absolutely 100% incorrect and completely despicable because the language makes absolutely no difference. Whether they speak Russian or Ukrainian or both or English or whatever they choose to speak, they are still Ukrainians and they're absolutely entitled to speak any language that they would like to speak. I think this is a very important case for
5: that. I just wanted to give a little insight that I've gotten, not for myself because I'm no more Ukrainian than the rest of us here. I spoke with one of my Ukrainian teachers about this One of the things to remember, they're going through a period now where things are going to return to the center more in a little while. The issue with Russian, as opposed to any other language, it has been the language of, as we all know, a country that's been trying to perpetrate cultural genocide on Ukraine for centuries. For example, my my teacher, I was talking about this Irina Faryan, who was the teacher at the Technical University in Lviv, who got fired after saying that. Russian-speaking Ukrainian soldiers are not true Ukrainians. And there was an uproar by mostly Ukrainian students, I might add, which I think was a very nice thing. Ukrainian-speaking students, I should say, in the West. But the issue is, and she was saying, she speaks Russian, but she can't stand to listen to it. Her grandparents were exiled to Siberia for 20 years or so and suffered very greatly. And to her, this hearing, hearing that language, it reminds her of many years of oppression. There, the business with, with using Ukrainian in movies and things, the concern, and, they, and there was a push to have English language movies not be dubbed because they want people to learn English. So there are a lot of competing values going on here. The issue with having things in Ukrainian is because Ukrainian was suppressed for so long. They, there's a lot of work to do, even with adult Ukrainians, to try to claw back the language from the mash, mashup of Russian and Ukrainian. A lot of people use because there was, a, because r- the Russians, but you can't find a good Russian English dictionary, sorry, Ukrainian English dictionary, because they're all quite Russified, the Ukrainian side of it. This was a, a thought out program of the Russians to try to force people into using a version of Ukrainian that approached Russian much more than was natural for it. So they're still in the process in Ukrainian of trying to purify the loaded word, but trying to get back to a true the true Ukrainian and weed out things that were forced upon them. It's a very fraught issue. I suspect once the war is won and things have calmed down again that a lot of this will be loosened up again. I think it's a reaction at this point to what's going on. Anyway, for what that's worth.
0: Alright, so those are really good points. I think it is a lot of, it it makes sense that a lot of it is a reaction. How could you help but have a reaction? You know what I mean? You would obviously have a reaction if this other country that speaks another language comes and genocides your country. And after your, your language has tried to be suppressed for how many years? Duh, yeah, yeah. Duh, it, it's going to happen, but I, mean, I think Robin makes a really good point. Tracy, I'm sorry. We went down a rabbit hole and down down around the tunnel and up the other side.
1: No, I think it's important to show why it's connected, actually, and that's very interesting information. It, it gives a good insight because I wasn't aware um, of her background in that case. I'm glad Robin reminded us of the protests that happened because if it was just that, it wouldn't be so bad. Like you say, you can understand her having an emotional reaction. But that obviously doesn't give her the right to then go on to persecute other Russian-speaking people, does it? I think that's where the line is drawn. Uh, And that's why we highlight these things so often because like we say, uh, Ukraine is sticking to the letter of the law and holding everybody accountable. So as well as saying that about Russian-speaking people and causing a wave of outrage uh, among Ukrainian defenders and in society at large, really, She also published a post on her social media with a screenshot of a a message from a pro Ukrainian student who was in the temporarily occupied Crimea area. This post contained the sender's name, including his surname and other personal data. She basically doxed him, as we say here. Some people may recognize that phrase. So that's quite serious as well. I don't know what specific laws they have. I don't know the names of the specific laws that they have in Ukraine, but I do know that they have ones that consider these things that we would call sort of data protection, protection against hate speech and that type of thing. Because of those reasons, She was then charged with the criminal code, Articles 161. Now, this is important because this is the one that's the violation of equality of citizens based on their race, nationality, religion, region, religious beliefs, disability, and obviously other grounds. So that comes into what we would call in this country. we We have laws against hate speech and against being openly like racist for example to racist groups or discriminating against disabled people or discriminate against any of these what we call protected groups that includes like your choice of sexuality or basically any of those things that I've just listed there as well and so she's also charged with article 435 which is to insult the serviceman's honor and dignity and threats to a serviceman. Article 163, violation of secrecy of correspondence, telephone conversations, telegraphic or other correspondence transmitted by communication means or via a computer. And Article 182, violation of privacy. So it all comes under that that data protection law that we call here in the UK. Probably you've got many similar things in all your countries with similar but different or even maybe the same names i'm i'm sure most of you know what i'm talking about but it's important to protect people's information and protect people's privacy and and i think it's really an excellent example to highlight that this is a fantastic case to combat quite a lot of propaganda i think quite a lot of russian talking points and narratives and in particular the one about the language which is a big one that Russia tries to use in various different ways, as we know. Um, So that's one of their nonsense excuses for committing a genocidal invasion on Ukraine in the first place. Also, this part about that Ukraine does not protect people's religious freedoms, not just religious freedoms, but does not protect other vulnerable groups and does not allow... Freedoms for
0: other vulnerable groups. Let's go to Hans. I'd be curious to see what other people have to say about this case. I think it's going to end up being an interesting one in the long run, don't you? I think it's
1: very interesting to follow, and I think it's a fantastic example to highlight. Again, I'm I'm really pleased that Robin came and uh, emphasized the part about the protests because um, all the students protested, um, and she actually got
4: fired as well for it, so that's good. So Christopher, please go ahead. When we originally talked about this, it struck me that she was being charged with having items in our home, right, that were of Russian origin. I was thinking to myself, that's bizarre. It's not like where Germany has sort of a law against, or statutes against Nazi paraphernalia, and then when I looked at the pictures on the Telegram tonight, I was like, oh, isn't she a little Little. prolific, little scrapbooker? Those rosettes with the... Ribbons, spending a lot of time making little accoutrements to show how much she's a, a part of the Russian uh, part of the Russian side. That actually made more sense because I could see it visually.
3: Thank you, Christopher. Go ahead, Carol. I have to agree with Christopher. It's one thing to keep a family memorabilia if maybe you had a relative that uh, was a Soviet soldier or something, but to have an up-to-date scrapbook with rosettes and ribbons. I got to agree. That sounds a little bit... But anyway, earlier you were discussing the case of Bodan Yermolkand. Did you know that he is back in Kiev right now?
0: I mean, I talked to the person who helped return him to Kiev today. So, yes, I know. UNICEF has been doing awesome work. They have been working very directly with the government of Ukraine. They have been working very directly, specifically with Bring Kids Back UA, which is a government, which is the president's initiative. When Miriam with Orphans Feeding Foundation, when she was on the space, I I asked her about UNICEF, and she said they have been extremely helpful. Dmitro Luminets, who is the ombudsman of Ukraine, very specifically thanked UNICEF there are certain aspects to the United Nations that have been extremely unhelpful. So I think that there are some very individual programs that are under the United Nations that have been extremely helpful. There are reports that I read on a regular basis from the Human Rights High Commissioner, who oftentimes sounds like they have absolutely no teeth, but when you get into the meat of the reports that they are filing on a regular basis, which is a mandate by the General Assembly of the United Nations. What I see every time I read one of those reports, and I say this every Friday night, it's one more brick in the building of a case against Russia for genocide. And yes, the United Nations could be doing a whole lot more when you look at the Security Council, when you look at the General Assembly. But when you look at some of these smaller programs like the World Health Organization, you look at UNICEF, You look at the human, the high commissioner for human rights, you look at some of these other individual programs and they actually are doing a lot and it's good. So they're doing good stuff. Tracy, go ahead. Thank you,
1: Prince. I will just also highlight as well that I I follow the local administrations around the region and every day on their channels, they post about what aid they receive, particularly in areas where they're needing a lot of aid, like her son every day. Um, many of the things that I see uh, from the mayor of um, off the top of my head, I remember uh, UNICEF is involved in providing a, a great deal of humanitarian aid, all sorts of different types of things that you wouldn't even consider. They're involved in different programs to provide kids with things, education and humanitarian aid, water, food all sorts of things, equipment, uh, even sometimes vehicles and cars. I tr- try to post every day um, about that. I can't do it every day, I must admit. Most of the regional administrations have their own websites and they post on them every day, so you'll find them on Google. Uh, also, if you, you, go, you can check out the Maria Report Facebook group. If you don't already, uh, I post on there, uh, regional information on there so that people get an idea of what's happening around the regions each day as well as the general news of, of what's happening. I'd post what the people say themselves. It's come directed from them and it's a direct quote. Very often when they make these posts, they do mention UNICEF in there. If you'd like to keep with how much aid is going from UNICEF, that's possibly one of the ways that you could do. Can we get back to SBU now? Is that okay? I think we'll go on to another cat prince. Do you have somewhere, an idea that you think you would like to go right now? Or should I pick?
0: Go ahead and pick. I didn't get my wheel out. I need to make a wheel with all the cases on it so I can spin the wheel out, Spin the wheel. Okay, so let's
1: go with this one then. Let's stick with the uh, propaganda topic because it's really important. For all the reasons that we've mentioned, this is a very significant case. The case regarding what they call in big air quotes, the ideologue of the denazification of Ukraine. This was the person who thought up this absolute nonsense thing and he has been sentenced in absentia of course but that doesn't mean that he won't ever be caught up with they're still building the case and that's the important thing to know because then it's already there for him to answer if or when i put out i think when because knowing budinov and what he said about we'll get to our enemies wherever they are i absolutely believe him 100 percent He doesn't seem to talk nonsense, from my experience. Based on the evidence collected by the SBU, this person, Armin Gasparan, is the ideologue of this denazification of Ukraine idea. In 2018, he published a book which promoted fictional narratives on the failure of the Ukrainian state. And obviously, this shows just like where these seeds of propaganda start to grow. When you look back at cases like this and you see where they've sprinkled these things over time. And then you look at where we are now and how it becomes a big whole thing that everybody talks about, a whole narrative that Russia pushes all of the time. It becomes on people's lips constantly and that obviously keeps it going. This is why it's important, I think, to highlight that these people are going to have to face justice for doing these things. At some point, anyway, he called for the failure of the Ukrainian state, called on Russia's leadership to actually even launch the attack on Ukraine. He went on to spread the denazification term, as we all know now. Looking back with hindsight is a wonderful thing. He began to use that in relation to Ukraine, like I said, quite some time ago, 2018. Based on the findings of the investigation, the court has found him guilty under several articles of the Criminal Code of Ukraine. So those are 442.2, and that's public calls for genocide and production of materials calling for genocide. And Article 109.3, actions aimed at forceful change or overthrow of the constitutional order or seizure of power. So that's basically like having a coup, isn't it? In no uncertain terms. Then Article 112. One ten point two. that's encroachment on Ukraine's territorial integrity and inviability. Now, the trial has been held in a special court proceeding in absentia. We know that he must have been informed of this case because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to be tried in absentia. That is one of the laws. He has been sentenced to 10 years in prison with confiscation of property. That sentence will actually begin after he's been arrested. Now this was a special pre-trial investigation. It was conducted by the main uh, SBU main investigation, direct under the procedural guidance of the Prosecutor General's Office. As you can imagine, basically the top people, the top brass, as we would say in this country, in the SBU have investigated this case. What the chances do you think this guy is ever getting caught? I don't know. And my mind tells me that he's never going to get caught. But something deep down inside me tells me that they'll get him. They'll get them all eventually. What do you think, Prince?
0: Let us look to the words of Budanov. In times like these, let us look to the words of the Budanov. It doesn't matter where you are. We will find you. And how much longer after that was it we saw? Uh, drones that reportedly took people out in Syria. That's it. That's the end of the story, really. No matter where they are, they will pursue them. That is what it comes down to. I prefer to listen to Budanov, have hope in the things that he says, and know that in the long run, I believe people will be caught just like you, because I think that Ukraine has had it realistically. Let's think about this. If he's not caught, where is he now? Where is he going to be? He's going to be in Russia. He's going to be stuck. Okay, Russia's not small. But he is going to be stuck in Russia. He is not going to have options. Okay, wait. He could go to North Korea. woo Let's go be Russian and- Oh, boy. Honey, pack up the kids. We're going to North Korea.
4: They ordered... They, they've... Allowed tourist visas, from what I remember reading.
0: For Russians, I think. I don't know. I, actually, I think you can. I think there are some tourist visas allowed when it comes to going to North Korea. You get what I'm saying, right? That they're going to find them. These guys, if they're convicted in absentia, Budinov is going to find them. If it's not Budenov, it'll be the person after Budinov. Because they are setting the tone for the future. That is the tone that they are setting. Being stuck in one country isn't always fun. Especially for these people, some of the higher echelons of of people in Russia who like to travel and like to take their yachts places and like to have vacation homes in Cyprus, perhaps. Yeah, because we know how that goes. So yes, Tracy, bottom line. I think they'll get them. I agree.
1: It's a good point that you make actually about life in Russia, freedom that they're going to lose out because that's one of the things that they like to do, isn't it? Russians, that they like to say that they want to tear down our democracies and say that our lives are so bad and all these things, but then they're quite happy to live in those countries, those EU countries, especially those people with money and enjoy those democratic freedoms in all those countries. They don't live in Russia, do they? In these cases, if they do, they are confined to Russia. They're not going to live as well as they lived before. Um, so it does make you think, which is more of a punishment, being confined to Russia as it collapses, as the economy collapses and things become more expensive. As we're seeing, life becomes more difficult in general all the pressures that come with that uh, brutal society that they have or to live in a Ukrainian prison where you're going to get your three square meals a day, as we say, and a roof over your head and no responsibilities to worry about bills or anything like that. Really, your human rights, we know, are looked after. So actually, I think it's probably worse to be confined to Russia at this point. What do you think, Prince?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Realistically, Chances of you getting arrested for something in Russia are increasing day by day. Pretty, Pretty soon, anyway, I mean, I'm not going to make an inappropriate funny comment.
1: These days, prisoners get sent to the front line in Ukraine anyway, don't they? So- this is true.
0: Pretty soon, you're going to break a law in Russia and you're going to end up in the gulag or jail or the gulag or a concentration camp or on the front line and cannon fodder. Turn yourself in and save yourself the trouble. Need people
1: that are used to being able to have these freedoms, especially people with money and have lived in other countries in the EU, people like that are going to find it much more difficult to survive in the brutal society of Russia than people who have not been able to ever escape that society and see a better life. That's going to make it even more of a punishment for them. Yes, I, I absolutely like to think of that idea. But... In the meantime, that can happen to them until the SBU catch up with them. We've talked about quite a lot of propaganda cases today. So now, what would you like to discuss next? We have some people that have been sentenced. So we always like to make sure we cover that because it's good to know when people uh, have been sentenced and having to face justice. We've got some interesting general security and corruption news this week. There's an update, actually, that I find interesting about the case we discussed with the guy in the tax service for corruption. You want to do the update?
0: Yes, and then I would like to talk about vacationing in Greece and how that went for somebody.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we absolutely have to cover that one. Yes, so there's been an update from the anti-corruption court because if people are not aware, that Ukraine does have a specific court that deals with corruption. It's called the anti-corruption court. This refers to a guy, now I've linked this case back, so it doesn't actually mention him here, but I have linked him back to the case they're talking about. I'll read it out to you and people will understand what I'm talking about. On November the 9th, the panel of judges of the High Anti-Corruption Court satisfied the request of the SAP prosecutor and extended the term of detention Said the former head of the SFS, which is the tax service of Ukraine. And that's been extended until January 2025. As an alternative, the court also set a bail in the amount of 120 million 780,000 In the event of bail, the accused shall be subjected to procedural obligations. Those obligations are to appear in court upon summons not to leave the borders of Kyiv without the court permission. So I find that quite interesting. He's got to stay not only in Ukraine, but in Kyiv as well. He has to notify the court about any change of residence, refrain from communication with the person specified in the resolution, hand over to the state migration of service of Ukraine, all passports that he has, which enable him to travel abroad. I don't know if that's just something they say in general in case people have other passports or whether he has other passports. Uh, That was an intriguing thought that I had. And to wear an electronic means of control, those are obviously if he chooses to pull the bail. They're reminding that this case corresponds to the actions specified are qualified under part four of article 386 of the criminal code. And that they specify, according to part one of Article point six two, the Constitution of Ukraine says that a person is considered innocent of committing a crime and cannot be subjected to criminal punishment until his guilt is proven in a legal manner and established by the court verdict. That's the update on that, is that the anti-corruption court have actually extended the term of his detention which I think is rather funny because he serves him. they try trying to actually complain about these things and then the term gets extended. I think that's what they deserve. I think that was an interesting update. I just came across that when I was actually looking on the anti-corruption website on the main news, another website that's a very good source for listeners. What do you reckon, Prince?
0: It is a good update. It's an interesting update and it's something that I think is good to point out. They're keeping on top of these things. They are making sure that the things are in order. Things are in order for different outcomes. Does that
1: make sense? It's pretty quick as well, don't you? It's only last week, I think. It's only quite recently we were discussing this case. It's not long ago. As somebody else asked me this question. It might have been Christopher about the amount of courts that they have. Because some of these things, they really seem to push through quite quickly. And it makes me wonder if they pay more particular attention to those for really to show the public that they're doing what a Ukrainian society wants, that they're cracking down on these people because these are high-profile cases, are there We talk about high-level corruption with people in positions of higher power, such as judges and someone in the tax service that's pretty influential, pretty powerful position, and it gives you the ability to commit a lot of corruption.
0: Absolutely. It gives a big possibility for corruption. I think not only are they showing the public that they're getting what they want as far as lessening the corruption in their country, these are important things to show to the rest of the world, specifically the European Union, as they're trying to go into the negotiation process. They need to be able to show to the European Union that they are doing things to try to make changes to weed some of this stuff out of their country. I would love to say that it's all for, to prove to their citizens that they're trying to rid their country of as much corruption as possible. I think that the picture there is a bit bigger. Don't you think? I agree. And I think
1: President Zelensky, also Andrew Costing, the general prosecutor, have both said as much, not in so many words, because what they've basically said is that they're showing this to the EU and showing this to their partners. That's the way they put it. We want to show our partners that this is who we are and this is what we want and this is where we're going. So it is important to them to be able to show that to their partners. I think that's another reason why President Zelensky has chosen to be very public about many of the things that he does and all these clean sweeps that have been made. That's another reason why I I want to really help highlight that and show that transparency because that's something they are wanting to do themselves which I think is highly commendable. And it also links in with the topic of disinformation that we're talking about, because it's exactly the same when you come across those people that think that they know everything or claim that they're an expert in everything. Or even when you're a so called expert, you're still learning. I find that's one of the things that I notice And many people that do know a great deal whose knowledge I have, a great trust and respect in. They always say that, I don't know everything and I'm always open to being corrected or I'm always open to being shown that something's wrong. One of those qualities, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I think that you can look out for it. All those things are very important. And, and I do think that's why they want to show those partners, saying, I've got nothing to hide anyway. This is what I'm doing anyway. This is who we are anyway as a nation. So why not be completely transparent everybody knows where we stand and everybody's mind is at rest then i also think many i I will keep saying it. i think many of our countries can take uh, a huge example and learn many lessons uh, from the way that uh ukraine is is should be commended for, for dealing with it as they are at the same time these propaganda cases these very influential and sometimes quite dangerous propaganda cases are also now being reported by the SBU. I would say it's a coincidence, but I think the Ukrainians are too clever for it to be a coincidence. Or do you reckon? That's a very good
0: point. Yeah, I think so too.
3: For every child, go ahead. First, I want to thank you, Prince and and Tracy, for for being willing to uh, hold this segment on crime and punishment. Uh, It it is uh, an important example. And... Just by reading these out, discussing them here on Maria Reports, it's bringing back haunting memories for people that have cases that they're familiar with that may have been treated differently than this. I promise you, Ukraine is shining as an example. I'm just so grateful that this segment is here and that it'll be here to refer back to.
1: And Thank you very much for every child. That's very kind of you to say so. We always appreciate you coming up and having conversations with us and bringing your contributions. So, Prince, where did you say you would like to go now? Oh, I remember now. Yes. Um, do you want to go with, read this one out or should I? Go ahead. Okay. What Prince is referring to when she talked about earlier about somebody in grief is that's the case that you meant, isn't it? where this person in Greece was arrested? Yes. How's that,
0: Greek, how's that Greek vacation going?
1: How is that Greek vacation going indeed? Let's have a look, shall we? See what's happening here. The general prosecutor reported that a suspect in an embezzlement of the Ministry of Defence funds was detained in Greece. On the 13th of November in Athens, the competent authorities of uh, Greece... Detained a citizen of Ukraine who is suspected of illegally seizing budget funds in the amounts of 43 million hryvnias Now, this refers to a case that we've already mentioned last week about fraud within uncovered within the Ministry of Defense. So, not obviously not the staff on the Ministry of Defense. Now, the previous staff, according to the investigation, the suspect is in a conspiracy. With other persons, he took possession of the funds that limited liability companies received as an advance payment from the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine. And this is for contracts that they had with them. It's supposed to be for the purchase of military goods. In future, the specified goods were transferred to the account of individual entrepreneurs for the alleged provision of works and services. The crime was committed between March the 2nd and May the 10th 2022. This involved the Ministry of Defense, Reznikov. At that time, the suspect was a director of this particular company. On July the 12th, the person involved was informed of the suspicion. He's known about this case being built for all that time. It makes you wonder whether he thought he was going to be safe in Greece. It's not really that far to go, is it? He could have gone to other, other EU countries much further away. It's interesting to think whether he thought he was not going to get caught. But the SBU and the general prosecutor of Ukraine will show you that you will get caught, even in Greece. He was informed of the suspicion quite some time ago, July 2022. Let's have a look. He was informed of taking someone else's property, official abusing his official position and disposing of property obtained by crimes committed in a particularly large amount uh, by an organized group. That equates to part five of article 191 of the criminal code and part three of article 209 of the criminal code. On the 6th of November 2023, the prosecutor's office, the general prosecutor, actually sent a, a request over to the authorities in Greece for the detention and temporary arrest of a specified person within the framework of the corruption of Interpol. I had thought before that they've got really quite good cooperations with EU of our authorities. They're really quite aligned very well with them, which I think is fantastic. I guess that was the case. We see some evidence of that. It's very nice to know that they specifically name Interpol here. What they call one of these red alerts, if people don't know, that's what Interpol, that you send out to Interpol when you want someone arrested, you send out the red alert, and then Interpol can act on that. As a result, the suspect was detained. The temporary arrest was applied by the decision of the Court of Appeal in Athens. Obviously what happens in these cases is they get arrested then they can appeal like anyone. They've got the same rights as anybody else. Currently, all the necessary documents are being prepared for sending a request in order to extradite the specified person, bring him back to the Ukrainian side in order for the criminal prosecution. You got it greased. you're going to get nicked. That's how we say in this country. <laughs> That's a very UK-British saying. Now, some more information that I discovered that was not reported by the SBU, but this was reported in Ukrainian media. And apparently, this case refers to somebody called Nikola Petrenki, is a member of the now-banned OPZZH from the close circle of Mazarov. This is like one of these banned parties in Ukraine, isn't it? One of these terrorist groups or... Uh, either way, they're banned anyway, aren't they, in Ukraine? So, you're going to get nabbed even in Greece, Heather.
0: There is nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. Does this actually maybe answer the question about the guy before who was sentenced in absentia? I realize he's probably hiding in Russia, but you never know. He may go to Greece on vacation, and you think that Ukraine will find him? I do.
1: I do, actually. I'm, I'm trying to remember now. I remember seeing some news this week about another country that had joined the, uh, what's it called? The Rome Statute, where they basically would have to arrest Putin if he went to their country. Is that what the correct name of it? I forget which country it was that signed it. But it's very interesting to note that more and more countries are coming on board with sanctions against Russia. More and more countries are coming on board with signing particular things, legislation and, and ratifying whatever they have to do, things like this. More and more countries are coming into NATO. That's all fantastic. It all tightens that noose. and uh, gives them more chance of them getting caught, I think.
0: Yeah, it does. It gives them much more of a chance of getting caught.
1: I wonder where else that they may go that they may think that they're safe and then get caught other than Greece.
0: Oh, North Korea. i I'm just kidding. Would North
1: Korea give them up? Probably. I bet North Korea would give them up for the right price.
0: Probably. No, it's just <laughs> there are very few places they could go very few places that they could go but they would try and they very well may try unless you haven't but he does have an arrest warrant out but not quite as high prof- profile as vladimir Zelensky or Maliv- maria lvova uh,
1: fell over she will fall Lavova. over when they arrest her
0: lvova <laughs> belova fell over
1: i like playing with russian names it's fun
0: yes i know you like playing with Russian names? I like playing with Russian names too, but I tell you, sometimes... We
1: can't dehumanize them, but we can make fun of their names and, and laugh at them because they really don't like being laughed at. I think that's a punishment, given the things that these people have done anyway.
0: Absolutely. The woman showed up on my TV today. That just doesn't put you in a good mood, does it?
1: Oh my gosh, no. I do not want to see her face anywhere. Actually. I'm really pleased to see when she made that speech, what was it, last year or whenever, when this kind of came out, when the warrant was given. I forget the timing now, all the days roll into one. Sometimes I remember that she gave some kind of speech trying to, or she was giving a speech in the UN or something trying to justify it and they just didn't stream it in the UK. Actually, I was really pleased about the UK in terms of that. And oh, that reminds me of a listener Gives them something earlier. Wanted to make a point of saying they didn't like the comment when I said that the BBC was very anti-Semitic. They felt quite offended by that. I just have to say that somebody also has the opposite opinion to me. That's not true. So I just thought to be fair to point that out. And sorry, it's a bit
0: sidetracking there, but that just reminded me of that. Back to you, Prince. <laughs> I get sidetracked now and then, and it's just what happens. Anyway. Sorry. No, that's okay. I just thought, as I remembered,
1: it's just fair to give someone else's opinion also. Yeah, a little sidetracked. Anyway, yes, you're going to get nabbed in Greece. You're definitely going to get nabbed if you're hiding in other areas, temporarily occupied areas of Ukraine. That's for sure. You probably might even get nabbed if you're in Russia, because another thing that Budanov says is it's amazing what you can buy in Russia. Now, what about, let's have a look. Did we speak about Dubrinsky? This is the guy that we talked about, the people's deputy. They didn't mention his name in the SBU case, but they did in other publications.
0: Where I wanted to go really quick is another whistleblower.
1: Oh, sure. Okay. I know what you mean. The update on the whistleblower news, you mean, on the whistleblower portal. I noticed that this week. I thought that was really great news because we heard about this whistleblower portal. This is a new thing that came into force not that long ago. And the whistleblower portal was opened on the NABU website. And we saw the first case of where the whistleblower was actually paid out. And we were also told that the whistleblower portal, which is an online digital portal where you can go on and basically give information yourself. When I read the report about it, there's so many agencies, government bodies and regional authorities that are going to be connected up to it. Eventually, it's going to be a countrywide system that's going to be, by the sounds of it, pretty much available uh, everywhere. Certainly, probably. I would expect maybe, I wouldn't be surprised even to see if it comes on the DIA app at some point. The National Agency on Corruption and Prevention, that's the NACP, supports the decision of the Appellate Chamber of the High Corruption Court uh, regarding the reward to the whistleblower. On the 9th of November 2023, HACC reached a fair conclusion that there are legislative grounds for the reward, specifically in the criminal proceeding, and it gives a number of the case. The case was previously in March twenty. High Anti Corruption Court did not issue the request. The decision is a historic event that reinforces the development of the whistle- whistleblower culture in Ukraine. Therefore, it stimulates whistleblowers uh, to report the cases of corruption that they have exposed themselves. The decision comes into force from the moment of its pronouncement, and the whistleblower is entitled to a payment of 1.68 million. Ukrainian hryvnas. According to the legislation, the reward will be paid from the state budget of Ukraine by the state treasury authorities through a non-consensuous procedure. About the case in particular, in 2021, a whistleblower filed a report with the National Anti-Corruption Bureau, that's NABU, regarding an unlawful bribe from an officer amounting to 24 million hryvnas this was for actions in favor of a limited company. This involved engaging experts to conduct unscheduled internal audit of the fulfillment of the state contracts by representatives of the state enterprise, of the Ministry of Defense, the Military Representative Office, and the LLC. The auditing group was expected to provide a positive report on the compliance, completeness, and also quality of the work under the contract, and that would enable the company to receive the full payment for the contract. And the full payment for that contract would have been 400 million harrivenas. It was related to the construction of a special facility, which was for the potential future use of the Ministry of Defence. In the verdict, which was dated March 24th, 2023, the HACC sentenced the former deputy head of one of the departments of the Ministry of Defence to four and a half years imprisonment and denied the whistleblowers reward then on september the sixth 2023 the nacp launched the unified whistleblower reporting portal where citizens can report the facts of corruption that they've witnessed the portal provides therefore around the clock open access for submitting these reports including anonymous report through in reporting channels Concerning instances of corruption or corruption-related violations, for example, on October the 2nd, 2023, the HACC issued its first instance decision regarding the reward to the whistleblower uh, in another case. The decision included the approval of a guilty plea between the Specialised Anti-Corruption Prosecutor's Office, that's the SAPO, sometimes just called it SAP and the former deputy head of the Kyiv tax service. This also included the payment of the reward to the whistleblower, amounting to over 13 million hryvnas that marked the first positive decision in a whistleblower case. This was quite significant, and we discussed this at the time, I remember. It's not really that long ago, is it? It does stand out given that it is so significant. I think it's absolutely fantastic news. I was really pleased to see this update actually, This decision has not yet become legally binding due to the filing of an appeal, and the NACP has prepared updated clarifications regarding the legal status of whistleblowers. These documents will systemize key questions that may arise for those who have exposed or are intending to expose corruption. They go on to say that whistleblowing is one of the most effective methods of combating corruption, an effective means of countering It's timely information provided to the competent authorities about these corruption offences that people may be witnesses to or may have even sometimes been forced into, for example, it gives people that way out as well. I think, you know, it opens so many more different avenues for people to be able to report these cases. I think that's going to make a big difference in the amount of cases that they're going to be able to to prosecute and, and bring people to justice for What do you reckon, Prince? Do you think we might see a flourish of people using that uh, facility once they see, wait, it's a huge deterrent, isn't it? As we've said, when you see it publicly put out like this, I think that will make a big difference.
0: I do think it's really interesting in this case is how they went back and fixed it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, it just, that's again, it's another important thing to highlight is that those processes are there to follow. If there are mistakes, then they will go back and fix it.
0: I think it was a really interesting thing to see that they screwed up and they went back fixed it. They went back and made sure that it got fixed and made sure that it got fixed right. I think that this is something that is going to speak not only to people who may want to whistleblow in the future, it also speaks to The motivation of the government, the government could have blown it off and said, whatever. But no, they said, oh, look, there was a mistake here. So we're going to go back and we're going to fix it. We're going to redo things. And that, I think, means something. Now, should they have made the mistake to begin with? Eh, probably not. But did it happen? Yeah. Can we move on with life? Yeah. But the fact that they went back and fixed it, I think it's absolutely great and i love that it's setting an example now that there have been two cases where they have paid whistleblowers it it shows that whistleblowing is not worthless right it shows that whistleblowing can be a very productive thing it makes me think of something
1: that the minister of defense said this week actually i'm just going to try and find it whilst whilst i explain because I do think it's a, a massive signal to the public because you imagine if one of you, you're one of those people and you're sitting there and you know certain information or you have access. Maybe you're worried if you, especially if you're being blackmailed or controlled or something. You don't know what to do and you see these things happen. You see these mistakes being fixed. You see the rights of the whistleblower being stood up for by the government by these laws that protect people's rights. All these things that we talk about. So. I think that really is a great signal to people to be able to say, you can come forward, you can be secure in using this avenue, this option that's now there uh, for people. Um, here's the comment. Uh, During war, said the Minister of Defence, um, Rustem Umarov, I treat corruption as terrorism. I think that comes back to what we were speaking of earlier. This is what they want. This is what they also want to show to their partners. This is who they are as a nation and as a people. What do you reckon, Prince?
0: I reckon you're right. I reckon you're all right. Absolutely. Did we actually make it through all the
1: SBU cases? No, don't be um, silly. We can never make it through all the SBU cases. Let's go back to some more naughty, naughty people and see what they have been up to and see which cheeky beggars have been trying to get away with things this week. So there's always so many interesting cases. Let's have a look at these people who held sham referendums because these get really get me annoyed because not only are they complicit and collaborators in these sham referendums, but that also is a huge tool in Russian's propaganda machine, being able to push out these things. It makes you laugh how they walk around with these ballot boxes and somebody visiting people's houses, making them vote with somebody with a gun behind. Then they try and show these in videos, things like, oh, yes, people are voting. It's just hilarious because... How can they not realize that it doesn't look good for them when somebody's voting and there's a man in the background with a gun? I don't know. For some reason, <laughs> it's just odd. It makes me laugh. Following the SPU's investigation, the court has convicted another three enemy who collaborated with Russia after occupying certain parts of Kharkiv and Herson. They were appointed to Russia's occupation administrators There, they provided invaders with information on the resistance movement. Members of the resistance movement actually participated in looting people's property, including holding illegal referendums. So they're not only participating in the referendums, helping to push out that propaganda and that image, but also stealing everything off their fellow neighbors and friends as well, of course. This is why the SBU are after them. For example, one of the things that these people did is they convicted individuals, headed the occupation authority in one of the village communities and became an assistant to one of the occupying governors of the Kharkiv region, one of the districts there. While in those positions, they assisted the aggressor by spreading Kremlin regime, suppressing resistance showing the occupiers the addresses of participants of what they call the anti-terrorist operation. In other words, Ukrainian patriots, families of Ukrainian defenders, of course. The traitors also guided the invaders to people's private households from where they'd been hiding. And for houses that people had left for other parts of Ukraine, they looted those homes as well with the accomplices. They just basically stole everything they could get their hands on but she's just typical. The SBU military counterintelligence actually detained both of them during stabilization efforts. These are what happened in liberated areas. I think maybe it's follow-on forces and things like that going after an area's been liberated and then cleared, then they are gone doing these stabilization efforts. Another collaborator is a woman from Bereslav district in the Kherson region. After the occupation, she also joined Russia's election commission that was in the village of D- Dugdjoining, this, this fake institution. She made door to door calls and visited private homes in order to get fellow villagers to vote, in air quotes. This is what I mentioned before, as we've all seen examples of Russia sending a FSB rounds to your house to make you vote and such like things with people like her holding the ballot box. She was also accompanied by armed occupiers, of course, who then threatened the people, threatened to put them in prison. This is obviously basically a Russian concentration camp is what they really mean. Or a torture chamber sometimes, which is even worse. Sometimes even just a cellar. In order to cooperate with the aggressor, she was paid a one-time reward. So it's not even like she was paid an ongoing fee for this ongoing behavior. She was just paid a one-off reward of 50,000 rubles, which obviously at the time meant a great deal more than what it means right now. During the raids, the collaborator actually even had the ballot boxes there still in her home. They seized the the fake ballot boxes as well. That's good to know. That's a very interesting fact. She was accompanied by occupiers all the time. They detained the enemy complex, this one in particular, after deoccupation of the right bank of the Herson Oblast. She was caught then and the other one was caught in Kharkiv. The investigations were carried out by SPU officers in the Kharkiv and Herson regions and of course under procedural guidance of the Prosecutor General's office in that region. You can't get away with these things. I think it's hilarious that these people stayed around. I don't know how they thought they were going to get away with hiding when they have been walking around with ballot boxes and keeping ballot boxes in your house. How stupid is that? I'm sorry, but I don't know any other word to you. Who's friends than stupid? Oh,
0: you're right. That's why it's, these were some of the most insane helping ones that we have read. This is, just, you know what it is? It's just all confirmation of the things that we heard were going to happen and that were happening that were happening during those scammerindos the scammerinda this is exactly what was happening and you know what we're getting right now we're getting all the proof we're getting the proof that it was happening we're getting the proof of how it was happening and we're getting the proof of these people participating i'm with you why did you stay me why but you know what, Tracy? You also have to wonder how much were they were how much were these people pushed into it? How much were they made
1: to I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in some of the cases they do specify that this person voluntarily went across to the other side, they say, or voluntarily offered their services. And that's one thing that I noticed actually in this case. I don't think reading through any of that, they specified that at this point. So it does make me wonder. Also, I noticed as well, they don't mention the actual part of the criminal code that she's charged under, which is again is something that's not common. It just makes me wonder. Article 111 of the criminal code collaboration. Actually, it does mention that, but it doesn't say. And I think that's quite a low sentence, really. I think we've seen higher sentences. That makes me wonder whether or not they've taken that into account, that there's been some kind of coercion, and that's why they've been more lenient with the sentence. What do you reckon?
0: That could be, but there's a lot of different things to take into consideration, so it makes me wonder, they could be lenient on the sentence because they wanted her to testify against somebody else or... There's all kinds of options for what could have happened here. The reality is, in the long run, what it still does is it still proves, in a court of law, what exactly happened, how people were coerced for their votes, and it basically coerced to vote and be sure to, be sure to hide the ballot boxes. <laughs> yeah, but be sure to vote the right way. Be sure to vote the way that they're supposed to vote, in order for. Basically somebody else might as well have just clicked their ballot and filled out their ballot or like, split it in the box and said it was from them because they didn't have a choice in how they were voting anyway.
1: And that's bad enough to be complicit to um the thing with the case that she was also involved in helping to get people tortured or held prison, all the above, by pointing out people that were basically believed in being Ukraine and being Ukrainian because that's what they were, pointing them out as traitors or terrorists or whatever. So that's what I mean. It's quite a low sentence, really, when you consider that it's not just the propaganda side of it. It's also you're really involved in helping people to get tortured. You're somewhere in that chain of helping people to get tortured which is also a war crimes. I think it six years is extremely low. That's another thing that made me think that there has to have been, I reckon, some leniency for some kind of cooperation or something. Something's definitely happened that they're not specifying, I reckon, anyway. Something happened. Something happened. Because six years is not long, is it, really, at all?
0: No, six years isn't that long, but it could have been shorter.
1: Yes. Anyway, six years, I don't think that's very long at all, but it's not common. We do see usually more sentencing in around that. We keep talking about that bracket of 10 to 15 years or that type of thing. But uh, yeah, I just thought because if it was just the propaganda, then uh, maybe I wouldn't think that six years was quite low, but because it involved that some kind of guilt in, in allowing people to get sentenced. She's only been charged with collaboration. She's not been charged with anything else more serious. I do think there's definitely been some kind of coercion involved. It's good to highlight that they take these things into account because we've spoken before, haven't we, especially about when you think about what's going to happen when they get to areas further into the East and how long these areas have been occupied for years at this point. It makes you wonder even how Russia commits war crimes in taking people out, whether there are any and how many actual Ukrainians are left in those areas or whether they've completely even Russified them. It's very difficult to know, I guess. It
0: is difficult to know. It is. It's difficult to know in some of these situations. Things will come out as they do. There are things, I don't know, my mind just yeeted everything. I know,
1: it all grows into one of some Still in not it? i like.
3: heard sorry
0: for
1: that's okay, don't be, t- don't be sorry, it's not a problem. I was thinking anyway, because it's getting to a mockers time very soon, she'll be coming to read the numbers. So I did notice, actually, I thought maybe I'd just look at some updates for people about what's happened overnight, because I noticed that there was lots more drones again last night. So I'm just going to have a look now and let everybody know, see what my little sources say. So waves and waves of drones again. Let me see what time did they stop? Oh, that was to 10 o'clock. So that's not bad. Actually, I don't see a notice at 10 o'clock. So this is what I was looking at last night to see uh, what they're doing about their drones. I'm not going to go into that because Mockers is going to tell you about that soon. We've got some interesting news to come from Mockers. Let's tell everybody what the Monitoring Centre for mine Safety is saying today. I'm still following their daily graphics. I think it's really interesting information. I'm sure other people really are interested as well because it's nice to see the progress. Just remember this is just the civil demining and this is only in certain parts of de-occupied territories. Once, at one point I want to see if I can, I want to find out if there's a way uh, to know how much demining gets done on a countrywide basis without having to actually go around each specific region and get their totals, add them up manually, which is something that would be quite time-consuming. Anyway, coming back to them. So today, they have informed, they have surveyed and neutralized another 372.32 hectares of land. They have neutralized 217 explosive objects in the last 24 hours. I'm not going to look at those because those are the numbers. Actually, they've also posted their weekly total. From beginning of the week, November the 13th to the November the 19th, Sappers of the State Special Transport Service discovered, removed and neutralized 2,835 explosive objects. This was on a territory with an area of, let me just turn my, screen up so i can see that more clearly because i'm old and my eyesight is rubbish let's have a look 2113 hectares have been demined in that time period that's been verified they've said they've specified that in total since the beginning of the large-scale aggression of the russian federation they have discovered seized and neutralized 87,176 explosive objects. Wow. That's at least 87,176 lives saved, if not more. That's fantastic news. In total, a territory with an area of 39,829.24 hectares was demined. That includes a water area of 21 hectares. Motor roads of 716 kilometres, railway tracks of 2,242 kilometres, power grid lines of 328 kilometres. Obviously that's clearly important, power grid lines for obvious reasons. Also gas pipes of 35 kilometres. So that's, wow, that's a lot in one week. That's excellent news. Wargdodo has joined us. Good morning Wargdodo. How are you today?
6: Good morning. Doing fine. I'm good. Thank you. This morning as more mornings are getting seen to winter already on our lines, still not snow, but nights are already cold. Is another evidence that soon is going to be Christmas and then summer again. As always, it works. You mentioned about civil demining. Yeah, civil demining is in parallel of holding an enemy enemy. from, holding an enemy from coming to our homes, same as we they did already in many areas where they have occupied on top of that. Ukrainian service is also doing demining, military demining is when the military suppers uh, and explosive engineers they are making narrow couple of meters wide but long pass through the minefield in order that the military equipment can go through that pass and expand and hold the territory during the offensive operations for the offensive operations but civil the mining this military demining is a pretty dangerous job, obviously, as any military job done on the front lines, because those are the front lines. An enemy is trying to stop you by practically killing you. That's why it is dangerous. What's related to civil demining, as we had here at the space much earlier, the well, months or so, guys from the interregional humanitarian demining center. And for home recently we have the fundraiser for the mining equipment and for the money raised, we have managed to go for purchase of 17 metal detectors that will go to this interregional mining center. We have, we have combined our efforts with Gary Mitchell, who is regularly coming from UK to Ukraine and he is completing our drug pool for with the mining equipment including our 17 metal detectors he will bring those from ukraine from uk to our guys in ukraine hopefully we will see each other gas his twitter nickname is gas underscore aod yes uh, he has his own fundraiser for the mining equipment he will carry also our mining equipment and this is when you hear in the morning, the numbers of territory being demined, those are the combined efforts of different groups, of different equipment. but at the end of the story, if you're, you, even if you are using remote mining, if you are using like remote drones, machines that dig the ground and they excavate or explode the mines that are under the ground. There are fantastic checkmate uh, made machines called well, Kojana, people memory doesn't fail, me 3, Kojana 4, they're different versions of those machines. Those machines, they're having the X King device in front of them that is actually digging the ground up to 30 centimeters. So 10, 10 inches deep, they extract the mines that are under the ground. They explode the mines in case they approach to these two, unfortunately, they are specialized on the, in antipersonal mines and they are not heavy enough to, uh, to deal with the antipersonal mines, so-called TM, those round circle mines, but what I'm trying to say that. Behind every automatized or any other effort in demining, there is the person with the metal detector who is actually checking everything. Is confirming that the area is demined. Why it is important? Is civil divining is bringing the life, uh, civil life, back to the territories that were occupied. Saying that. The mining has been done, that the civil demining can be much more complicated, much, much more sophisticated, being not less dangerous as uh, the military demining, obviously, because the military demining being conducted on the front lines, the responsibility for saying, hey, the area he is demined, the, the area is now safe, is also significant. The, uh-huh. Actually, civil, the mining means you need to de- mine everything from living areas, from homes, from, from backyards to some specific objects, water objects, and everything that enemy has mined in the enemy has mined chaotically in during the, during the battles. Obviously, enemy is not making any kind of mining maps. Obviously, how they mine the territory is uh, one of the components of a terror that they conduct in Ukraine. Any effort that Ukraine is doing in order to the mine or any help Ukraine is doing in the mining is really paying off a lot because this is how actually the territories are being brought to life after the area is occupied uh, Important element that probably already being discussed at the space that during this weekend, the command of Marine Corps in Ukraine have confirmed that the Marines have gained certain area in the left bank of Ypres River in Herson area. We've got official military confirmation that everybody were waiting for having some different information from different sources, speculations, and so far and so on. Now we've got the official military confirmation that guys from Marine Corps, they've got to the left bank, moreover, they secured some area that will be used for Further advance, if the environment will be allowing Ukraine to do this and trust me, Ukraine will do everything in order to move east from east bank from out deeper. This means more and more territories pushing Russia for another gesture of the goodwill, as they call it, more and more territories will be requiring the mining. That's why I'm super glad that earlier we managed to, to with the help of our Beautiful listeners. Thank you everybody for that. Managed to complete that fundraiser. We managed to to put in process at least 17 uh, metal detectors that will go to dry hands. Working in Ukraine, working for the mining. So the numbers that you will hear about the divine territory every morning will contain part of your efforts, part of the amount, part of your participation. That is an important thing that I was going to say every next uh, morning you will hear is part of your job. It's part of your efforts. That's because of your efforts. That's because you participated in the fundraiser. There are much more fundraiser Ukraine is doing, for instance, you can check in the NASMIR report. It is helping with the Blitz fundraiser for the organization of, of Mariam Lambert in order to help more kids getting home probably occupied territories is a huge trouble that Ukraine is. It is one of the huge troubles is tell me the huge trouble Ukraine is not in. Connected with Russia, conducting a genocidal war in Ukraine, unfortunately. But we were not asked if we want to do that, but we can help Ukraine making its life back by winning Russia, but bringing all people who are held in captivity home and including Ukrainian kids, why it is important because uh, as re- as recently the international organization that monitors this problem, I have mentioned many kids that were brought from occupied territories from Ukraine to Russia. They are sent in specific, let's call it facilities, right? In these facilities, those kids are heavily influenced, they are trying to change their behavior, let's call it like this, from being Ukrainians to being Russians and pitching all their crappy uh, propaganda at those uh, young minds in order to, you know what, create a resource and this resource that will be used in order to attack Ukraine in a way that they create kids that is part of some crazy experiments of Influence of their propaganda. That's pretty dangerous. Those kids need to get back to Ukraine. That's why many organizations are doing their job in order to force Russia for doing so, bringing Ukrainian prisoners back to Ukraine, including forcedly replaced. Unfortunately, those people are forcibly replaced in a way when something happens to the family, they simply grab the kids. they bring it to the Russian territory in such facilities where people are massively influenced by Russian propaganda. They are trying to change their behavior towards Russia and against Ukraine being Ukrainians. Trust me, those people will be also used by Russia in order to pump their propaganda. Those kids, look, they were taken from Ukraine. We saved them from Ukraine. Russia will say, look what they are here, what they hear. And uh, you will be hearing what is the result of massive uh, propaganda at the Unwrites uh, could be that's part of re- operational, formational warfare. This uh, Russia's part of the genocidal war against uh, Ukraine. There is even a sentence uh, from the international organizations related to Russians or Russian government. This is the crime that has been already admitted. Uh, sentence should follow, I would say the punishment should follow. That's important because Ukraine in this genocidal war needs to have such simple, but very complex to achieve war that is justice to be a success story in the world where there are these days too many challenges where our are trying to challenge the democ- democracies and democratic values. And the way people agreed to live after the second world war, that is dangerous. That is why Ukraine needs to be a success story uh, of attack at the democratic, at the country that choose democratic values and country that made its civilization choice leads to the success story, but not to the defeat story. Because if Ukraine's story will be a defeat story. I think we are opening too many bad things uh, possibly to happen in the world that we practically shouldn't do as a president at all. That's why Ukraine needs to be a success story, and let's help Ukraine be a success story with the small things we are capable to do. Following the topic that Tracy has been mentioning about the view part, we have also our Maria report touch point with the SBU guys, alpha guys. You remember the guys for whom we were buying the hearing protection for whom we were buying lots of different important stuff. Those guys are grateful uh, for all the efforts that we are doing. I've been speaking to the guys uh, last week. They have some other uh, requests that are pending and you know what? Those guys from Alpha SPU they they asked, What yeah. do you think, Ordogo? if we take one big flag of our unit and make all of the signatures of all our unit at this flag and present this flag to me or your listeners who helped us a lot in so important equipment we use and helps us to be more effective. I was like, Well oh, oh, should i think that's amazing Thanks. so wait for a surprise soon i think those guys uh, will amazing sorry for that long, long talk i hope you enjoyed and hugs and love from ukraine stay tuned
1: hugs and love to you too wild doggo and thank you so much for all that wonderful information that's really Absolutely amazing to hear. You said so many amazing things then. It's fantastic to hear about the demining equipment going across there. It's so wonderful to know that we've all been a little part of that. However you helped, whether it's by retweeting or whether you donated, it's fantastic to know that those figures every morning for demining will now actually contain uh, some of your donations and your help. To know that about the SBU and the flag, Oh my gosh, I don't know about anybody else here, but I think I would actually cry. <laughs> I think I would just be so overwhelmed to see something like that. That would be incredible. What a fantastic, what a touching, really thoughtful thing to do. I want to say good morning to mockers and ask how amazing about that. Do you think that's his mockers? I'm overwhelmed with that.
3: Oh, which one where what? Sorry.
1: Uh, about what what Doggo uh, what was just saying about the SBU guys asking what, how we would feel if they all signed a flag and sent it to everybody oh, here. That would be amazing. Yes. I'm that sorry. I, I've, got, I've got a lot of good things hanging out in my head right now. That would be amazing to have something to raffle off or what have you. Brilliant. I think I would actually cry at that.